Now to session three of the forum, which is a dialogue with members of the tripartite work group on older workers. On the panel, we have Ms. Lo Yen Ling, Senior Parliamentary Secretary at MOM, Mr. Heng Chi Hao, Deputy Secretary General at NTUC, and Mr. Alexander Melchers, Vice President of SNEF and Director and General Manager of C. Melchers & Co. Singapore Branch. To moderate the dialogue, we are happy to have nominated Member of Parliament and Associate Professor at the Singapore University of Social Sciences School of Business, Walter Tessera. May we invite the panelists on stage. It's over to you, Associate Professor Tessera. Thank you. Okay, so um, I thought maybe I'd take one or two minutes just to set out what I see as some of the economic issues in this debate, and then I'm going to go around the panel uh, and ask them to give some opening remarks. After that, I'll ask the first question, and then we'll try to turn it over to the floor as soon as possible. Okay? All right, so um, I think from an economic perspective, there are two uh, big issues here. One problem is that we need to think about good jobs and not just any jobs. Um, I think we saw in the earlier debate uh, discussion about work of the future, automation and so on. I'm confident there will always be work, but it may not always be the kind of work that we consider normatively desirable today. To take a case in point, uh, we have automated trains in the Northeast Line. We don't need train drivers anymore, but we do need, we still need customer service attendants. We still need people to push people into the trains and so on. So you need that human touch of customer service, but the question is, do people want to do this kind of job, especially in their older age? Uh, the second big issue, I think, is the wage and benefit structure. The typical wage structure in most economies is backloaded, that is, you earn more and more as you get older for a number of reasons. In part, this is to give people incentives to work harder earlier. But the problem is uh, this gives employers uh, excuses to cut older workers or cut their pay. And retirement, you know, you could, you could think that retirement is maybe the way for employers to cut their losses in this kind of scheme. So what should policy do? My view is uh, policy should think seriously about where it can address a market failure or power imbalance. So I think the most serious market failures or issues now are in the wage and benefit structure, which doesn't reflect the real value of work. It's too little pay and benefits early on and too much later, most likely. Second big issue is social insurance. Uh, where should responsibility, for example, for medical benefits and retirement really lie? Is there too much reliance on this being provided by the employer uh, for certain aspects in Singapore? And I think the last issue, which is always present, is a power issue. Uh, job insecurity, um, conditions of employment, these are always issues for workers, and I think especially more so when people reach re-employment age. Uh, in the US now, we see a massive shift towards contract and freelance work. Now, much of this is by choice. People want more flexible working arrangements, but not everybody wants them, and in some cases, it may be forced into people who prefer a more secure traditional arrangement. So we really have to ask, is this going to be uh, the way forward? And of course, we have to keep in mind the trade-off, which is that any policy we propose must be workable to employers because there's no use uh, specifying the most wonderful worker-friendly policy in the world if you don't have any jobs in the first instance. Okay, so um, with that, I'd like to invite um, Yanling first to make some opening remarks and then followed by Chi Hao and then Alex. 
Thank you. Thank you, Walter. Very good afternoon to all participants. Um, thank you for coming to the forum on older workers. I came about 3 p.m. I found the previous session very insightful, and I'm quite sure this session will also be a very rich uh, one. Now, um, earlier on when I sat in uh, that session, was I heard Chris uh, and also John um, and a few questions, uh, Gyok Chu, etc., all talking about ageing workforce. And I think for the longest time, we probably talked about ageing workforce with maybe it's an unconscious bias, with a little bit of negative connotation. But in my six months of uh, involvement as a member of the tripartite work group on older workers, we have gone out, we have held many focus group discussions with workers and workers of different ages and also with employers, with unions, and also with members of the public. And we have heard different views. And many employers tell us that, um, and I will cite my mom as an example. Uh, many employers tell us that actually they really value their older workers. Number one, older workers have valuable institutional knowledge. They will know, no, this is not, this client don't like it this way. Maybe it's because in certain companies it's not codified. You need to have the institutional knowledge to know, you know how to finesse the solution accordingly. That comes with institutional knowledge. The second one, they say, older workers or mature workers offer stability yeah, and doesn't lead to, such, lead to such a high turnover rate. It's also very important for company. And the third one, actually, there are some research that points to the fact that if you have diversity of age, it will lead to higher productivity at the firm level. So why do I say my mom's example? Um, I also made the mistake. I, I shared this with the members of the focus group. I made a mistake eight years ago. My mom back then was only 60 years old. Why eight years ago? Because um, both my parents run a very small government manufacturing business. Yes, Janadas, the shirt that you're wearing, that type of shirt. Yeah, you'll be the customer that my parents will be going for. So basically, it's a very smallish factory with only 20 workers. And they've been doing that for 40 years, since they were 20s. Imagine, and it's the whole group of seamstress, courier men grew together. And by now, out of the 20 workers, 75% are above 62 years old. And my mom continued to give them pay raise every year based on their work performance. Um, Unfortunately, eight years ago, probably because clocking very long hours, my dad uh, spent 10 weeks in the ICU. Um, they gave him very good uh, healthcare support, but unfortunately, he left us. My mom persevered. She wanted to continue running her business. I remember back then, I had heated argument over a very protracted one-year period. I, was, I thought as a filial doctor, my job is to persuade her to retire, right? You would think as a filial doctor, daughter, you want her to be able to just enjoy life a little bit uh, as an Asian. And she said, no, um, I enjoy doing what I do, right? So I can feel her passion. It was very palpable, that sense of purpose. Um, and she said this, if I close this shop down, what will happen to the other 19 colleagues? Yeah, so that sense of responsibility. And I think a lot of us, whether we are younger, we are older, uh, whatever capacity, we, we may wish for the older worker to take it slower, uh, thinking that we are being responsible and kind, but actually, the best way is to enable every older worker in Singapore who desire to work and are able to work, to continue to be able to work in maybe part-time, flexible, or in some cases, full-time. So, I understand my colleague Park Singh shared, and shared earlier a number. Well, the, you know that one in three 
in the workforce is 55 years old and above. I think you all cited that number. Another number I think my colleague uh, Park Seng shared, but which I think a lot of people may not remember, is this, um, the fact that Singapore's full-time older worker employment rate actually ranked not too badly amongst OECD economies. We ranked ninth, ninth position amongst OECD economy. Where we think we can do a bit better is the part-time yeah, uh, older worker employment rate. Uh, on that front, we rank 23rd. And this is where, um, since I joined MOM and even before me, uh, MOM colleagues, WSG, E2I, Tafab, we have been hard at work. In fact, I was just at this uh, place about one month back sharing with the various employers, three associations, on the tripartite standards, uh, on flexi work arrangement, as well as our repertoire of programs to better support employers uh, to put in place flexible work arrangement, flexible work assignments, or even flexible work schedules. So with that, maybe I'll, I'll pause and uh, hand the time back to Walter and my fellow panelists. Thank you. Thank you, Gio. Uh, thanks, Walter, and uh, hi, folks. Uh, very good afternoon. I first want to apologize. I'm nursing a very bad throat. So in case uh, it gives way, forgive me. Uh, I think just now from the earlier session, you can see uh, from the presentations by the different uh, speakers as well as the sharing by uh, participants that there are so many different perspectives. It just reminds me of that picture of, you know, each of us may be touching one part of the elephant and it is true that we are touching the elephant. So in other words, where we are coming from, what we are sharing, we are, we are telling the truth from our experience. But at the same time, the whole elephant is a lot more than the part that we are touching. And why I'm telling it uh, this way is because in order for us to uh, progress on this subject matter, because of this challenge uh, and opportunity confronting our country of a population that is aging, of a local workforce that is aging, how not to let that become a liability, but let that be an opportunity which doesn't come by chance. So that, 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 that is one. So how do we all, touching our different parts, yet can come together to make a whole and better elephant? Uh, and from speaking from the labour movement's perspective, in relation to retirement, uh, what we really want is for the chance and the choice to be given to workers to work for as long as uh, they wish to, for as long as they are capable of doing so productively. Uh, so, so that they do not be uh, prematurely uh, retired uh, when they can still contribute, partly because then it would help with the retirement adequacy if they can continue to earn, partly because indeed the experience and the contributions will continue to be felt if they are given the opportunity to do so. Um, and uh, in, this, uh, in this regard, I, I think what we therefore are looking for, together with the tripartite partners, are sustainable arrangements. So improvements that are sustainable in this direction of furthering uh, employment into the older ages. So how do you do that? taking into account what Gyokchu shared earlier about a sense of reality. Sense of reality is important, but sense of reality it depends on how you interpret it. It should not be a showstopper. It should just tell us to say that, look, uh, if it's so easy 
it would have been solved 10 years ago. Obviously, it's not easy. Not easy is not the same as not possible. So we have to crack our heads together and figure out how, taking the whole package, uh, how do we move on this? And this really relates back to why we are doing it, why we are capable of doing this is because the way we are running industrial relations in Singapore quite different from most other places. The fact that we can sit together like this on a table and discuss and say, keep on saying we are going to do it together, it's actually valuable. Um, and uh, we don't want, therefore, from, from this perspective, we want that chance and the choice to prolong it for as long as possible on fair terms. But at the same time, if I were to characterize companies as a goose that lays the golden eggs, we also know that we, we must not go and do it until we kill the goose. Because if we kill the goose, we're dead too, right? Uh, but on the other hand, we don't want uh, the farmer to... Now, if I look at the goose as the worker, I don't want the farmer to retire the goose prematurely also, is it? when the goose is still capable of producing uh, eggs. And by the way, eggs are quite useful to be produced now. So, <laughs> so you see, we talk about resources. Uh, yeah, so we must maximize every resource that we have for as long as we can, using every means possible, like technology, like skills upgrading, everything. So we have to do that. Uh, my final point is that on this journey, really it is, um, uh, there was a point brought up, uh, Thing, Dr. Soin, about not just the poor MOM, and I totally agree. I, I saw tears coming down for perm sex life now. And frankly, it is whole of government, but it's also tripartite, but it is actually the whole of society. I mean, we talk about mindsets, we talk about ageist attitudes. Actually, what are we talking about? We're talking about ourselves, because all of us together make society. And if we want society to be different, then all of us think and behave differently. And society will therefore change because we change. It's on, on that basis. So I, I think that journey will be a long one. But uh, we believe that we put our heads together, work hard, crack our brains. We can get improvements that are sustainable. Thank you. Uh, Alex, the employer's perspective. Thank you. Um, good afternoon, everybody. The, um, I have to make a direct reflection to what Yen Ling said that, um, when she said that our um, re-employment or, or, um, or the participation rate of elder workers in the employment is that we are not doing too badly. Um, when we started this process 10 years ago, we did not expect that we will do so well. Um, actually, I think we are doing very, very well as a country. And um, I just want to accelerate that a little bit. Um, I think we are doing well. We have um, um, implemented retirement age a couple of years ago and think we are now in the second round or the next round of discussions and we have much more know-how and much more experience and um, we want to reflect on these experiences. Um, we have the different views that we shared. I think um, one of the complexity arises out of the different groups we are looking after. So on one side in the, in the company, we have workers who really must continue to work because they don't have enough money not to work. Uh, so there's a national need to provide jobs for these people. And then we have people who want to continue to work because of fulfillment and for life and to, 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 be, um, to be respected. But they're not, must not, but they want to work. And then we also have people who want to retire. And they also want to have a date where they can retire gracefully and where, there is, where they don't have to apologize to retire. So that's one group. And then also we have a group who are not employed, 
and who are maybe 55 and who want to be employed. And that is a part of the discussion that we need to have because we need to not only ensure that people stay in employment, but that people also are employable. And you know that the drop-off rate at employment at 50, 55 is still quite high. So we need to look after these people too. And amongst that group, there are people who must find employment because otherwise if they don't, the government needs to look after them or somebody else. And then there are the people who want to continue to employ. So that, that is the, um, um, these are the discussions. In the recent um, discussions and elaborations that we had, um, very strong points come through organizational um, renewal. Um, that continues to be an important topic and um, that um, we need to make sure currently most people are employed in the same positions. But that will not be the future because we need to make sure that people are also employable in other positions. And because the work, the nature of work is changing much faster um, than what it did maybe 10 or 20 years ago. So this, um, we need to make this topic of recareering is very important. Um, that people start to think about recareering not only when they're 62, but probably at 50 and 55. So that's an HR topic too, which was addressed before. Linked to this is a topic of skills. Um, the, we, we notice and we know that the participation rate in in-company training of elder workers or employees, say 50 and older, is half of that of people who are in their 20s. Okay, so um, we need to also bring that up. And that is both sides come together so that the elder workers are also asking for retraining and that they want to be reskilled and that, of course, employers also provide that, um, these opportunities. And it's very important also um, call to the government to support these, um, um, to, to support reskilling and practical retraining where it's really required. The next topic is cost. Um, we, I think we have more or less eliminated a seniority-based wage system. Yeah, so that is um, more or less solved. In some companies, in some industries, it's still a bit uh, more prevalent, but in most of the industries, it's not. But we know that med medical cost is going up. So they estimate that in 2030, the med medical cost per employee will double for the company if we apply the current systems. And that is not only for elder workers, right? This is across the board for everybody. So it's not a topic that is isolated to elder workers' medical cost, but it's accentuated for elder workers because of insurances currently. Insurances, um, their statistics are the cost for the insurance of elder workers goes up dramatically, um, but the overall medical cost goes up too. So here we need to address the topic of portable, portable medical benefits because the concept of lifelong employment in one company is over. Um, this one we know there will be some exceptions, but maybe the government of Singapore, um, um, but, um, but probably not. But, the, uh, um, but in companies who are changing fast, where industries are changing fast, um, many of you will have seen industries who started 30 years ago and they are gone, um, and they provided jobs for 20, 25 years, but that's not enough anymore if we look at the current um, 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 lifetime working time that we are looking at. Um, so we need to address it, and um, also we are looking, of course, at the government to, to nudge the system. And then also what came through from some of the industries, and these are very practical points, as, um, some, for example, from the oil and gas industries. Um, they, they operate the, the, um, the refineries and tanks, and, and they say that they have the, that's also an issue of safety. So there's, we are seeing that, and this is a fact, and um, it's a hard fact, um, and there are many elder people here in the room, but people age differently. 
Yeah, we cannot just say at 62 everybody performs the same. Some people are fitter, some people are less fitter. And you know it in your own families, you know it in your own environment. Some people are very agile, some people are fitter in the head, some people are physically more fit. But we cannot just say everybody at 62 still performs in the same way that they did at 40. And we need to acknowledge this and we need to have flexibility in the system that in certain industries we are not trying to catch everybody with one rule and one law, you must have um, provide the job until 65, where it actually could impose um, um, risks for certain industries or also for the co-workers. Um, so these are topics um, that we need to um, also consider in the, in, in the um, in discussions as we go forward. Um, so overall, um, I think, the, and this is also the question I asked about legislation, of course employers want flexibility. And we don't only want it to make more profit, um, but I think it's a national interest um, that employers are flexible and that we have this flexibility and um, that we can provide good jobs to elder workers and that the employers also find it interesting to continue to employ people who are 50 plus. You know, we all know from our industries, and I know it from my own company, um, that if I have an employee who, is, who works for me at 62, he does a good job, of course I will continue to employ him. That's almost a given, and our statistics show this. jean Cat, I think we are 98% rate of re-employment or something like this at 62 people who are employed. And then it doesn't really matter if it's one year or two year, um, because if the worker continues to perform and is healthy, he will be re-employed. You know, most companies already have employees who are 70 even. Yeah, so it's, it's, there's actually no limitation to employment. Um, but we need to also make sure that the companies have an incentive to employ people who are 55 plus, that they have an incentive to train these people for new jobs and to give them another opportunity to work for 10 years. So this is the balance that we need to strike in the discussions that we have. Alex, uh, thank you for uh, putting forward the case for the employers very well. I, wa I want to follow up with one question which uh, I'd like you to give your thoughts on and then I'll open it up to uh, the others. Um, one of the key policies, of course, uh, that's going to be talked about is the issue of the retirement age and the re-employment age model. Um, from the employer's perspective, what would you like to see here? Because our current model, of course, is that you have a fairly early retirement age and then re-employment up to uh, a definite age. Now, I mean, are you thinking of, uh, for example, a model with uh, no retirement age at all, no specific retirement age, or more liberal model in some other way? Well, what is your wish list here in this regard? Currently, we, we believe that the concept of a retirement age, and currently is 62, is a very good concept, connected with re-employment. Yeah? So it's not just to retire, but to re-employ. But that at the age of 62, and of course leading up to 62, it's not a moment, it's a process leading up to 62, employees and employers sit together and discuss how will this work relationship will go forward. Um, so we think that is a, a very good age. It's, you could say, why is it 60, not 60, or why is it not 63, but we happen to set it now at 62. And um, we think that in the context also of the other variables in, in, in our system, 62 is a very good age. From then on, I think things take their course. And we should not force companies to employ people for too long, but we should give everybody an opportunity to work for as long as they can and for as long as they want. From an employer point of view, we also want to, of course, ensure and not give the impression that there is a, that just because there's retirement age or re-employment or legislation that there's a guarantee that everybody has a job after 62. 
Mm. You know, because the guarantee of the job only comes from a flourishing economy mm. and not from, uh, from legislation. Legislation mm. cannot guarantee there's a job. Legislation can only guarantee that there's a job if there are jobs and mm -hmm. if companies are successful and can employ people. And um, so we, um, we believe 62 is a good age. And the concept of retirement is a good concept. And this was a concept that, of course, was deliberately chosen by the tripartite partners maybe 10 years ago, um, looking at other countries, Japan and so on. And we, um, we came out that for Singapore, that provides a very good system. Thank you, Walter, and also Alex. Um, in the last six months, as we engage um, older workers, unionists, also workers of different ages, uh, companies, MNC, local companies, the micro-enterprises, three associations, we hear different voices. Um, and I think this is juxtaposed against uh, a bigger landscape, which I think the PS talked about it, and also the first two panel outlined the various trend. Um, allow me to take 10 seconds to recap. Of course, we are facing aging population. Uh, longer life expectancy coupled with the fact that we have lower birth rates. 10, 20 years ago, it was about 50,000 babies, if I'm not wrong. And now it's about 33,000 babies. And uh, so this is on the demographic trend. Um, and on the employer side, you hear from Alex, and we also hear from the companies, they are starting to really recognize, and they recognize that older workers can be and uh, will be a very crucial solution to their manpower needs and plans. So I think the stars are very aligned. Uh, that's one. And the number that uh, Alex talked about, if I can put it out again, um, today, 98% of eligible private sector local workers reaching 62 years old who wish to continue working, they are re-offered uh, re-employment. And for the vast majority who are re-employed into the same jobs, huh, uh, at the age of 62, vis-a-vis -vis 61, uh, they were offered, the vast majority of them were offered the same wages. That's an important number to note. And um, in the last few months, as we uh, engage older workers, we want them to tell us their aspirations, their plans, and uh, like what uh, Jihao and also Alex has mentioned, actually there are many different target groups. Some of them, uh, but one consensus is many of our older workers Almost all of them, almost, uh, uh, other than a handful of them, almost all of them hope to have the option to continue working. But not all of them would want to do full-time work. Some of them, for various reasons, would still want to do full-time work. Um, many of them would hope for some flexibility in their work post-62 years. So for various reasons, maybe they want to spend more time with grandchildren, they really want to um, uh, pick up the skill that they always wanted to. Right? And uh, so it could be reason related to financial independence, related to passion, actualizing their um, self-actualization, or even sense of purpose. So with that backdrop, um, it's, uh, we want to, we believe that the construct of retirement age and also re-employment age uh, is still relevant. Uh, because given the different stakeholders, we, we, it's important for us to be able to balance the various objectives, and there are two key objectives here. The first one, obviously, we want to be able to be, we want to be well-placed to provide greater assurance to our older workers for their job. Greater job assurances for older workers, but at the same time, we want to do so not at the expense of their wage or benefits or even their employability. So in order to do so, we need to ensure that 
our enterprise ecosystem in Singapore remains vibrant, remains sustainable, because the real competition is out there. The real competition is the global market. So we need to ensure that whether it's a micro-enterprise servicing local market or large local company uh, with global footprint or MNC, they are able to remain competitive. And in order to remain economically competitive, they need to be able to have some flexibility to be able to adjust the employment terms and condition during the re-employment age. Of course, uh, re-employment period, but of course, the consideration must be very reasonable related to uh, productivity or duties and responsibility, like what Alex has mentioned. In the real oil and gas, when you need to do shift work, you need to be dealing with pipes, huh, etc. Um, the productivity and the ability to really handle night shifts, etc. Those are real consideration, and many of those workers may really want, you know, to take on a more admin jobs, etc. So uh, those are the few things that we want to uh, quickly talked about, and, uh, but our view as of now, sussing the ground via the various focus group discussion, the construct of retirement age and re-employment age is still very much relevant because of the two key objectives that we need to strike a very, very good balance. Thank you. Okay, uh, I share with you what we hear from our <coughs> union side on retirement age. So roughly, there are two different uh, opinions. Uh, one that says, well, if today the number is 62 or 67, if you consider re-employment, uh, because of that number, then uh, employers would use that number to say bye-bye to us. <clears throat> so it becomes a limitation to our ability to work beyond that number. So if you remove that number, then there is no way an employer can then say uh, you have reached this particular age. So that's one, one uh, opinion. Um, there's another opinion that says, actually it's not quite true, because, um, I mean, with all due respect to Alexa, <laughs> the, the companies will have any number of measures if they don't want to keep a person, especially one that doesn't perform, um, to leave the company even at age 25. So, it's not just a number or a piece of law that uh, would you know, solve everything and, and, and make it uh, that way. Uh, just now, I noted that uh, in uh, one of the sharing, the data that was put up, there was a chart that showed different countries. Some do not have statutory retirement age, and actually before 1993, we also didn't have a statutory retirement age, but some uh, as of today, have, including ourselves. Then I looked at those figures. Now, we have statutory retirement age and we have a statutory re-employment age. Uh, what did that do to our older workers' employment rate? So that the other chart also showed it has been actually going up and uh, as Yan Ling said, we actually rank well. So I don't think having a retirement age is a necessary impediment to employment. Uh, I also noted from uh, Christopher Gee's presentation just now where he had another chart that showed the average effective retirement age. So in other words, never mind what your law says, but from a company's demand point of view, how long do they keep workers as they age? 
And on that count, uh, our average effective retirement age has also uh, been tracking upwards. So I would not therefore uh, say that uh, if you have a re statutory retirement age, it is a limiter on your employment or your prospects. But I would want to join uh, both Yan Ling and Alex in making this point, which is that <coughs> I think what we need to do is to look at the entire pie, the jobs pie. Are there enough jobs? Is our economy performing? What sort of jobs, like what Walter said, are being created? And then whether, especially Singaporeans, are we given a fair go at the better jobs? So those kinds of things are important because otherwise you are splitting between a constant or a shrinking pie. And if you have that one job left, and you have to choose between giving it to the older worker who is in a family, the father, let's say, or <coughs> giving it to his daughter who is uh, trying to get a job. If you only have that one job, I think it is not a good position to be in. So, therefore, what we want to be able to do is that even as we speak about uh, retirement ages and all that, how do we move those things forward, create more space, more opportunity for re-employment for continued employment in different forms, full-time, part-time, but at the same time make sure that it is a growing pie, not, not a, just a sharing an existing one. So for example, if you ask me what is my take on this, uh, we rank ninth on uh, full-time uh, employment via the OECD countries, but we rank 23rd for part-time. Uh, what do we conclude? Well, there are different ways of looking at the data, but one thing I know for sure, I don't want to be in a situation where after X years, we end up, we are 23rd on the full-time and 9th on the part-time. Because that's not what we are all talking about. We want to be 9th, 8th, 7th, 5th, whatever full-time, but we want to further enable the yet-to-be-enabled part to come forth, and then that would be the resources I think that, that is the, the point I wanted to make. Okay, I'd like to open this up to the floor now. Um, questions? Okay, I'm just going to start from the left-hand side. Okay, Asun, over there. Hello, afternoon. My name is Lincoln. I'm from the petrochemical industry. Uh, my question is with regards to the, or let me put it this way, the case for action with regards to increasing the retirement age and re-employment age is clear. Uh, however, even for the OECD countries, um, they have increased their retirement age, but they do have exceptions, or they do have, uh, they call it end of career policy, or perhaps they call it early retirement for certain hazardous job. A hazardous job could be like train drivers, uh, mine workers, or it could be uh, uh, oil rig workers, or those who work in offshore industries. Even ballerina in Italy have an early retirement age, or even bullfighter in Spain have an early retirement age. And we know for the fact that this is a reality. You, you can't AI the bull, or you can't uh, so-called make job redesign on the bullfighting. So hence, I just hope that the uh, work group, Tapatite work group, could consider this point where we have to face the reality of the work itself and understanding the safety aspect of the work um, when we come up with our new policy. Thank you. 
Before I turn this over to the panel, I just want to make a quick note here on your comment. So the comment is about how there, is, uh, there are different retirement ages for different classes of jobs depending on the hazardous nature of the job and so on in some countries. But I think one thing to note is that in many of those countries, there is often a pension system that pays out at retirement and hence the early retirement age entitles one to an early pension in fact. And we uh, do not actually have that system here which makes it a bit different. But any uh, comments on the panel? Uh, just to augment, uh, even in our current re-employment law, uh, there, are, there is a mechanism for companies who feel that uh, they need an exemption for reasons they believe to be valid to put it to the ministry. And it will be dealt with on a case-by-case -case basis. Okay, uh, next question. Okay, sure. Convalidit uh, Soin, former nominated member of parliament. Um, in countries like Australia and UK, I think where they have done away with the retirement age, studies have shown that competitiveness has not suffered. Second point is, if we work, Singapore has the second highest healthy life expectancy in the world and the third highest average life expectancy. We cannot expect to work for 35 to 40 years and then sustain a retirement of 35 to 40 years. So to keep the retirement age at 62 and then to give yearly extensions, as we saw in the earlier studies by the black box, that workers feel very insecure and they cannot plan for their lives. So I do not, and, and in most companies, and I'm an employer myself, we can ask our employees to leave any time depending on the contract of a service. So I still want to know, why do we need to have a retirement and a re-employment? Why, in Singapore, we are always short of workers. So if employers know that they cannot get workers elsewhere, they have to make do with the, the staff that they have, they will then, for their own self-interest, will reskill their workers and do everything, keep them in good health and all that. So I think, to, you know, I'm an employer myself, Mr. Melchus, so I do not think that employers should be given so much of leeway. They're making the GDP is growing. Only half of the GDP in Singapore goes to the local people. So the other half does not. So we do need to see that our local workforce does not suffer. All right, and may I make another one or two more points? Like, more for example, one more point then. For example, about medical costs. And I think Mr. Melchers rightly mentioned about portable medical benefits. I think it's quite simple. Most people have integrated Medi uh, shield plans. All the work, all the employers need to do is to pay into this integrated shield plan so that the worker can then it'll automatically become portable. Because right now, if a company buys the medical benefit for the worker, when the worker retires or leaves, they, they are then stuck because they are not covered. So if all employers pay into their integrated shield plans, and that, and that does not go up that high every year. I have a lot of other things to say, but let other people also have a Thank say. you.
Um, I think the portable, portable medical benefits I leave to um, Yen Ling, but um, from, a, from SNAP side, we know that it requires additional effort from both employees and employers together because employees um, also need to agree to portable, portable medical benefits. And it's just not only limited to, the, um, to employers. On the retirement age question, why do we need it? I think um, um, we have, of course, a bit of legacy in the Singapore system. That, that means we had the, the CPF um, withdrawal ages, and we have certain time um, and moments there. Um, so that um, rather than just committing and forcing companies to employ somebody up to a certain age, we actually make the system flexible and more enabling. Um, the, the, the idea or the concept was that when you look at um, other countries where you have a retirement age, that actually it, it, it companies start to filter out and exclude certain people to not even come close to that retirement age. So we want to basically allow companies to, to reassess the performance and the job of each individual in the organization at a certain age to ensure that he can be employed and to ensure that not on other grounds of, you know, you don't perform well, that person is maybe just terminated and then doesn't have a job again. So it's not meant to, to only provide an employment contract for one year, but it is meant to really enable and give both employer and employees the opportunity to really go all the way until 62 and then beyond that age or whatever that age is. Because we know if you just extend a retirement age to 65 or 67 on the same terms as it is, the, the result might be um, adverse at what we think. Yeah? So that then people start at 50, 52, 53 to say like, this person, another 20 years in my organization, I'm not so sure, I'd rather resolve the situation now. And this one we know in European countries too. And when we look at the participation rate, why it is still low that we say like only 65% only of the people above 60 are working, it's not because they're not re-employed, because at, already at 50, the, the, um, the participation rate is low. So we need to bring up the participation rate um, after 50. So that is the intent. And we also know, and I don't have the statistic, but it's significant, really significant, particularly, particularly amongst companies which are not unionized, SMEs, they don't even go through a formal re-employment process. But people just what we call sales through. So they don't do anything, but legally we consider them re-employed. But these companies don't do anything. They have somebody who's 62 and then they don't really worry about it. And they just keep the person employed at the same terms. Legally, he is deemed to be re-employed by one year because if nothing is done, that is really the, the status quo then. And that falls under the statistic, but a large um, 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 probably the largest um, contingent of companies just allows uh, the, com um, the employees to continue to, um, to be employed under the same terms. But if there is a requirement to make an adjustment, it is not binary, you retire or not. But now we have the HR process and the, the engagement to allow that person to employ under different terms. One word on that, flexible work agreements or part-time. Um, it's not only about part-time, so it's not only to say somebody works not 100%, but now 70% or 60% or 80%. I think the real challenge is, and that, that is something that affects against HR practices and the whole economy, to provide what we would call really flexible work arrangements. That means you can maybe work two hours in the morning and two hours in the afternoon, or two days from home and three days from the office. Um, that is what we need to have to address, because now, in our statistics, 
the people who we the flexible work arrangements, it, it's all the gig economy. The gig economy provides maximum flexibility with all the disadvantages for the country. These people don't have protection, they don't, have, they don't make payments to their CPF, but they are all super flexible. There is a flexible um, economy out there, but it's addressed by an unregulated um, um, economy, um, which we also need to address, um, to, um, um, to, to address as a country. So companies need to be much more progressive when it comes to providing real flexible um, work arrangements. And I, I felt it in my, own, um, in my own family. I have four children. When my wife expected the, the twins, after we had two, um, she couldn't find a job anymore. Uh, companies were not able to give her a job because she said with four kids, Every twice a week, I cannot, I wouldn't be late, or I have to leave the office earlier and I work from home. Because it's not manageable otherwise with, with children. You, everybody knows that you, you need that. So, so that level of flexibility, we still need to improve a lot in our economy. Thank you. Thank you, Alex. Ma'am, um, thank you for your question, and I would like to address the first question with four simple points. First, I want to say that in MOM, we're on the same page in terms of the fact that we, what we want is to see high employment rate and low unemployment rate for anyone who wants to look for a job. Okay, that's the first point. The second point, um, allow me to cite my experience in Economic Development Board. I think some friends know I spent a decade in Economic Development Board, and my job is to go out there to the world, to Drunkard knows, huh? I knew him for 15 years, go out there in the world and really compete with different locations, compete with Invest Hong Kong, etc., for the projects, to persuade companies to come to Singapore, to set up operations, to create jobs. So, and because of that, as we deal with the um, MNC top honchos in terms of our decisions, why is ExxonMobil putting $5 billion here? Why is Shell doing so, putting money in uh, Bukom, etc., creating thousands of jobs here? Actually, they are down to a few considerations. And allow me, this is an FDI term, a foreign direct investment term. It's called factors of production. Right? And obviously, we have to make sure that we know our value proposition and Singapore continue to have a very differentiated value proposition. And I've come to understand from the MNC here on show that they value our talent for our integrity, our skills, etc. Um, but it's also because of my 10-year stint in EDB that I know that countries like Australia, countries like UK are also very large market by itself. So they do have their own critical mass of local companies to support employment. Uh, their local companies, they are rooted. Uh, if for whatever reason, the overseas companies are flighty and they take off, they know that there are enough local companies to continue to provide employment, whether is it in Australia's case, agriculture, etc., etc. So that's the second point I just want to put out there. The third point, um, ma'am, the point that you raised, whether is there a need for retirement age or whether can we raise retirement age, this is still an issue that is being discussed within the tripartite work group um, by the various stakeholders, workers, employers, unions, etc. And um, actually, interesting, interestingly, some of the older workers, I remember I attended a few focus group discussions, they themselves, even as some say it's a good idea to do away, it's a good idea to raise, some say, hey, be careful what you wish for. Be careful what you wish for because now, understandably so, that every older worker would want to continue to enjoy the same wages, same benefits, uh, but um, we want to make sure that it is not whether raising retirement age or doing away will not inevitably uh, impact 
our older workers' employability, especially when the economy is, is weak. Um, if the views of the employer is such that, oh, your labour market is quite rigid, not flexible enough, you may not see the cliff effect immediately, but when the next investment decision comes, that's where maybe Singapore as a location may not be as attractive, or maybe even the local company will think, I really want to create more jobs here, but as I can calculate the various uh, uh, considerations between Singapore and other ASEAN countries or even uh, other countries in Asia-Pac, do, does it make sense? Because he has to think of the total uh, employment in his company at a global scale. So we want to make sure that it does not um, negatively impact the employability of the older workers. So there is that balance. And um, I want to add that in MOM, even as we look at companies providing re-employment to older workers beyond 62 years old, uh, even though the employers are accorded some level of flexibility to adjust the wages and the benefits, and bearing in mind, earlier on I said 98% of the eligible private sector local workers reaching 62 were re-employed, and those who were taking on the same jobs, vast majority were offered the same wages. Uh, that's the latest survey. Huh? Um, and for cases where they need to make adjustment to the wages and benefits, they can only do so when there are very reasonable consideration uh, related to productivity, whether is it in hazardous uh, jobs, etc., productivity, uh, duties, um, reshuffling of duties and responsibility, etc. So um, we also make sure whether through TAFEP or in MOM, if any employers is found to have given out unreasonable contract terms during the re-employment period, please, please call us and please let us know yeah, we will take every case very seriously, we'll review it, and we will certainly follow up with the company accordingly. So really, the, the heart of the matter is about remaining, ensuring that our workforce, our enterprise ecosystem here, continue to remain nimble enough, flexible enough, and be very well placed to translate an older population, an aging population, into a competitive age for our economy and also society. Sorry I took a bit long for that. Now, very quickly, on the integrated shield, etc., and this is why I think Alex brought up the point about portable medical benefits. Huh? Um, I think Yokchu will know. I think many companies maybe are still providing GHS, the group health and surgical insurance. I think your point is why not just you know, pay out, yeah? help the individual uh, pay the premium for their integrated uh, shield, etc. So the tripartite work group is also thinking and we are hearing views and inputs about portable medical benefits. And um, we think that in order for companies to really address and adapt to the current demographic trends, actually shifting maybe over a very, very long period of time to uh, portable medical benefits, it seems logical, but we understand from employer that uh, it will be costly. Yeah, it, we, we heard that it will be costly. And interestingly, it's, uh, if you ask the employee, uh, the perception uh, of the portable medical benefits, which uh, clearly it will offer coverage for the employee in between jobs and after retirement, right? And actually, a portable medical benefits will reduce duplication between the GHS and Medical Shield. 
There are many shield plans which we have rolled out in the last few years. But the perception out there amongst employees and employees, interestingly, are this one, they are consistent. They feel that there is a reduction in coverage. Now, that's, what that's the sensing we, we had. And in some companies' uh, case, they tell us that all along, their HR will position the GHS as a talent attraction uh, feature. So this is something that's still being discussed. Um, and I, going back to talking about us remaining economically competitive, we need to make sure that uh, whatever is recommended and uh, adopted will be something that will be something that will allow our companies, whether MNC or local companies or even micro enterprises, to continue to stay competitive and create good jobs for Singaporeans of all ages. Okay, sure. Okay. All right. So we have just have a couple of minutes left. So what I would like to do is collect a couple of questions, but hopefully they're not um, long statements, please. Okay. Um, sure, I'll just go. I'll just try um, you, sir, over there, then you, sir, and then you, sir. So I think I, we can collect three quick questions, but yeah, hopefully they're quick. John Elliott, I will be quick. Uh, you made, sir, chairman, a very interesting suggestion in your introductory remarks, which is could we move the profile of income uh, to a more youthful uh, profile so that you earn more when you're younger and less when you're older. I think this is, I would really like to hear the panel's reaction to this because it has seemed to me for a long time that this would be a very sensible thing. It has two big benefits. It provides more money in families when you really need it, when you're younger, and it is an incentive to employers to not have to pay quite so much. I completely disagree with uh, things like increments for seniority. I'd be very happy to live with decrements for seniority. And if you are sufficiently good, maybe we'll let you keep your salary. Otherwise, you get a decrement. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Uh, thank you very much. I'm Jason, an editor with Today. Uh, I'll make my question very uh, quick. Also. I think we've heard quite a few comments about how now employers are more um, open and less uh, ages and they, um, they recognise the, what senior citizens bring to the workforce. But at the same time, we also hear of some stories of employers that are a little bit more ages, you know, um, including in the civil service. And like many things in Singapore, uh, people tend to look to the civil service and the government for leadership, for examples. So I'm just wondering, you know, to, is there more that the civil service can perhaps do is it possible, for example, for somebody who is in his early 50s to start a new role at a bottom level if he wants? And I'm citing this because I recently met an Australian who became a police officer at the age of 50 after going through six months of academy training because he felt a calling. I don't think we have such an opportunity in Singapore. Thank you. I'll just collect one last question, please. Um, over there, sir. Yeah. Yeah. But sir, just a quick question, if you may, so that we have some time to respond. Thank you. I can only be as quick as I can, right? I like two comments today. One from Minister saying, if there's a will, there's a way. And earlier from DY, more or less saying that AI is not to be fear, nor favor. So I have a suggestion for the government. Huh? Remember the story of ATM? When it came on, all the tellers were scared, shitless, out of job tomorrow, right? Well, guess what? The Americas produced 100% more jobs because of ATM. Twofold. Because of one very simple AI. That the ability of the AI will have 
on us now is immense. So my suggestion is to pay AI with the age people, yeah? Because with that, you will not be looking at historical data, historical model, and try to tweak here, tweak there, and all that. And see, be confined with your retirement age and retirement employment, rather, RA and REA. So take a look at it, that. And now tell, let me tell you a story. Okay, um, no, no, maybe, let, let me tell can we take Just the point that we want to look at AI and how that can be used to further refine the retirement age issues? I'm, I'm really sorry because I think we okay, want okay. to give Fine. the panel... We, we can talk about it later. Yeah, thank you. I think I want to um, just comment on um, Dr. Elliot's point uh, about whether or not it is better to be um, small up front and big at the end, or is it better to be big up front and small at the end? Um, I, I think to, to replace one form of tyranny with another is not necessarily the answer. The, I think the answer might be in something else which is more performance-based. So, so in other words, uh, I don't care how much you are, uh, your, your age is, or how, how old you are, um, but I structure in a, such a way that I will look at the performance and to the extent that it could be objectively assessed, and then uh, we are on a common uh, playing field. So I, I think something like that might, might appeal to more people. So that's one. And actually over the years, there's this thing called the min-max ratio of salaries in Singapore. And over the years, that one has actually come down. And one of the reasons why that one has come down is because more employers have moved to uh, more performance-based uh, type systems. The other uh, comment by our participant about, um, you know, not, everybody, not every employer is enlightened, whether it's in the private sector or in the public sector, and his example of his friend who could switch to a different profession uh, at age 50. Um, I would like to uh, urge this point uh, again, which is that uh, it is very easy and very convenient to externalize either the problem or the solution to somebody else and say, until that one does something, um, I'm not going to do anything myself, and then I just keep on saying that that one is not doing anything. But actually, there was no need. I, I don't think your, your friend um, you know, switched to uh, a police job because the Australian government did it. Uh, in all likelihood, either it was a self-initiated uh, effort or it, it was something that is, uh, um, uh, you know, okay, so the police uh, in Australia, uh, they, they may have a scheme that will allow for mid-career entrance. And, but actually, in, uh, both in, the, uh, in Singapore, in both the public as well as the private uh, uh, sector, mid-career entrants, there are. So, uh, but I would say that actually, I would uh, agree with you that if we are thinking of how do we tap talent when we are short of talent, then the more flexible we make ourselves as employers, the more uh, we offer different options for people with different uh, needs to come in. So I, I can only work you know, in a certain pattern because of my other life needs. But I'm very good. But today, you can't use me. So I can't get a job and you lose a good talent. So if we can therefore find ways to do that, more of us, government side, private sector, there's only benefit for all. Yeah. Okay, I'd like to invite uh, Alex and then Yenning to give some concluding remarks now. If you have any. So, okay, now I start. 
since um, five minutes, the screen says time is up. Oh. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> so, um, sorry. The, I am a foreign employer, one of these that Yen Ling has referred to. Um, I'm actually a guest in this country. And I feel privileged to be on panels like this and to contribute a little bit um, to what is happening. Um, but um, a very big picture um, um, comment really is that the whole world actually looks at Singapore and looks at your very flexible employment systems, inclusive of CPF, your f nearly full employment, uh, integration of a foreign workforce with a, with a cap and a clear ratio and a policy where everybody knows um, um, what the deals are, rising salaries, high literacy, you know, everything works for this country and works very well. Um, part of that is tripartite. And um, tripartite has always flourished because it, it's the parties coming together and achieving objectives together, particularly employers and unions. And my, my call, and this is not a secret always, is continue on that track and don't legislate too much. Because you can never take away legislation. Yeah, you can increase CPF and reduce it. You can increase salaries and reduce them. And you can add benefits. But legislation will never go away. And it might bite at some point in time, um, um, not for the better. And um, so my very, very high-level advice always is like try to find ways to solve the problems without legislation, but through a promotional effort and through the very strengths that this, this country has, which are the tripartite partners. Typically in our work groups, I sit very close to Chi um, Hao. Um, it is um, unusual that we are sitting so far away. Usually we, we sit together and the government sits on the other side. So I feel very lonely here, you know. Um, <laughs> but I, I want to really end on, on this very positive note, you know. This is, um, you have in Singapore um, such, a, such an, um, um, a privilege and an advantage that you build the system don't just put it up to the government and say, you have to legislate now because we want improvement. Solve it without legislation and, 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 and choose that um, um, way and stay flexible. Thank you. Well, um, Chi Hao has already addressed the three questions, but I think I should still just chime in on the second question because it's related to government, whether government is walking the talk. Uh, a very senior director of uh, PSD under Prime Minister's office is sitting in the tripartite work group, closely looking at this. Um, and we know that they have very progressive uh, HR practices. I just give an example. I am serving in, uh, my constituency is Bukit Gomba, and we do weekly house visit. In the last uh, few years, I know of two cases, two residents, um, and both are in their late 50s, right? And they managed to make a career switch into the public services. One of them, I, wouldn't, I call him Mr. C. Lah. Uh, because his uh, first alphabet surname is this C. Okay, he, he, he switched into MOE, even before I joined MOE, eh? nothing to do with me. Um, and now he is one of my MOE colleagues who is writing a lot of emails to me on a matter. And I'm very proud of it. Okay? Another gentleman, uh, he's an Indian Singaporean, uh, he managed to find a job in ASTAR as the head of IT. Right, so I think we need to, sorry, head of IT, head of IT. Yeah, sorry. Um, late 50s, late 50s. So I'm quite sure if we collate, we will be able to have many of such examples. And earlier on, the second panel mentioned, and Alex talked about promotion. Actually, what we can do more is celebrating. 
celebrating efforts and example of good human interest stories and show the various employers and organisations not that difficult to put in place flexible work arrangement, not that difficult to put in place flexi work assignments and schedules. So if you ask me, um, I'll take one minute very quickly. We, the title for today's panel is Shaping the Future, am I right? Yeah, and I thought we talk about a lot of technicalities. If we can take a step back, actually, if we really want to future-proof ourselves, I think it's all about attitudes. It's all about mindset, right? And in terms of attitudes, I observe, and I'm very heartened that the attitudes towards working seniors in Singapore, I think, are really looking up. Employers and Singaporeans are recognizing our seniors, uh, the merit of their contribution. So that, I think, is a plus. Now, my aspiration is for the various Tauke, uh, local company, no matter how big, how small, or the MNCs, to be what I call H-smart company. H-smart company. Um, and what, what is considered H-smart? That's really my own definition. I feel that the, if a company is truly H-smart, he must be quite smart in using every stuff that he has, right? So the company hopefully can create uh, alternate career routes for their older workers. In Mandarin, you know, within the same company, right? And that also means that actually the conversation cannot just take place at 61.5. Although, yes, that is mandated, but frankly, a progressive company will probably, we hear that some companies even start as early as in the mid-50s. I went on a, a study trip in Japan. I think some companies start that, not because they're trying to push their employees out. They want to hear from them, what would you like to do next in the company? And if they are in a position, and because they have that time horizon to look out for a possible position and to allow them to really uh, make the transition and also, also make the adjustments and maybe pick up the skills to prepare for that new job in the same company. So creating uh, alternate career route for the older worker in the same company. Then the second one, my aspiration for an age-smart company really is to provide diverse work options. Sorry, I keep saying this, FWA. Right? And allow me to say a bit of goyo. Eh? Now, we, we launched this slightly more than 12 months back, tripartite standard uh, on flexible work arrangements. And these are really well taken up by companies. And we hope you go back Tell your bosses, and if your bosses, please let us know if you're interested. We will follow up with you. And in MOM, we have plethora of programs to support the companies, not just big companies, even micro-enterprises with a few headcount. Example, work-life grant, right? It is to put in place what Alex and Chihau mentioned, flexi-work arrangement, and they can simply put, it comes in three forms, flexi-time, flexi-place, flexi-load. What is flexi-time? For example, let's say, Alexa's wife, nah? let's say four kids, and um, if she have had it all over again, there are more companies FWA, and she said, boss, I can only come in at 10.30, sorry, I need to cook lunch for my kids. And, but, you know, I'll still work full-time, I come in at 10.30, I go back at 7 p.m. That's flexi time. And you know what? You beat the traffic, right? Yeah? So flex, flexi time. And flexi place, it means, again, Alexa's boss, uh, wife, nah? also his boss, nah? also your boss. That's your real boss. Yeah, and so she would tell her, her boss in the company, I have to stay at home on Wednesday because of certain commitment. And so one in five days, telecommute, flexi place. Flexi load is how do you redesign the job so that the same job could be shared by three or two person. Of course, then how you 
recognize your efforts, it has to be fair and just. So we have various programs to support companies' transition um, to provide that. And I'm happy to share with you that um, we did a survey, and as of last year, 50% of the companies in Singapore offer at least one formal FWA. Right? And I think more than, let me get that percentage again. Uh, I just want to make sure I'm quoting the correct. Yes. And more than 75% of the companies offer at least one ad hoc FWA. Ad hoc means what? Uh? Let's say, uh, let's say Alex is uh, a tauke of a small company. Sorry, like you're on my right, like, so I have to do that. Right? Uh, he runs a HDB shop. And then I am his only staff. Right? And I need to send my mom to the hospital. I say, hey, um, boss, sorry, my mum, I need to bring her for checkup, right? And you say, okay, okay, I'll just go. It's ad hoc. There is no procedure, but it's ad hoc, right? And a lot of our SME actually provide that. And so what we hope to put in place really is systems and processes to enable the company to be more flexible, and that actually will allow our whole labour market to also be flexible. So that's the second thing I hope for an age-smart company. Actually, an age-smart company probably also can learn how to better leverage their older workers to mentor their younger workers. This is where the older workers' valuable industry knowledge or institutional knowledge will really come in very useful. So that the younger worker, in Mandarin we say, 少走一点冤枉路, you know, uh, pay lower school fees in terms of uh, certain areas specific to clientele, etc., etc. Yeah, because not everything in the company is completely codified, right? So if you have, over time, more age-smart companies that really optimise everyone's potential regardless of age, actually that company can enjoy the best of both worlds. Enjoy, you know, allow younger staff and also older workers to work alongside each other for the benefit of the company. At the same time, actually the same company will enjoy very healthy age diversity. And according to various articles, a company that enjoys healthy age diversity will also enjoy higher productivity, right? Age smart company. And I started by sharing my mom's story. I said I quarreled with her, right, over one year. I must tell you, I learned to be a filial daughter. Actually, I need to understand what her hearts really want. So after one year of discussion, I realized this is what she wanted to do. And now she is still continuing her operations of her factory. Still 20 staff, now eight years older, right? And creating good jobs, uh, enjoying fairly brisk business. And what this, why do I cite my mom's example again? I think the onus is not just on the companies. It's really whole of society, right? And if we have the whole of society support to allow every older worker to work as long as he or she wants to work and is able to work, I think, uh, to me, that is really an age-friendly society. And... That is probably the best way we can honour our senior workers for their decades of contribution to the society and also Singapore. On that note, thank you very much. We would like to thank Ms Lowe, Mr Heng, Mr Melchers and Associate Professor Tessera. Now for a few administrative notes before the closing address. First, you can find the speaker's presentation slides and useful background materials on the issues discussed today at the IPS events page for this forum after the event has ended. Video recordings of the forum will also be available on the same page next week. Second, 
we would like your, fee your feedback on today's event, which you can provide by scanning the QR code on the back of the event brochure. Now, to end the forum, it's our pleasure to invite the Director of the Institute of Policy Studies, Mr. Janadas Devan, to deliver his closing remarks. Director, please. Uh, good evening. It has been a long afternoon, I'm sure, so I'll make this very short. I've got no qualification to address you on this subject other than the fact that my colleagues helped organize this uh, forum and that uh, I will be 65 in about six months and will therefore qualify to begin withdrawing, taking my money out of CPF. Um, <laughs> but I just <laughs> want to make three points, which is an IPS tradition. Um, number one, Never before in human history have there been so many old people or elderly or seniors or whichever is the politically correct term to use. This is a genuinely new moment in human history. Our species, Homo sapiens, um, has been around for about 300,000 years. About 100,000 years, we began to get out of Africa. Over most of that period, if you hit 25 or 30, you would have been old. Of course, the fact that there are many more people who look like me and worse has far-ranging consequences. It affects our finances, it affects our healthcare system, it affects our eco economy, it has financial con consequences which are quite um, 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 various and complex, and also cultural and political consequences. Uh, when 30% or more of your population is more than 65, that's a sizable constituency, one-third. And they will have demands. Um, we will be spending more on healthcare, for example. We already are. Um, um, the largest ministry I expect within 10 years um, will no longer be Ministry of Defence. Um, you just look at the expenditure on healthcare, it will be at least 4% of GDP or more. Within 10 years, that will probably be the result, and MOH will be the largest ministry. So there are very many um, um, ramifications of this. Second point, related to the first, never before in history have there been so many healthy old people. <laughs> when I was born, which was 1954, life expectancy was around 60. So it made sense to retire at 55. That is why your CPF, you know, you could withdraw at 65. I mean, if you promise to die at 60, I'm sure the government will let you take it out. But <laughs> that was the situation. So life expectancy now is pushing 85, and it doesn't make sense to retire at 55 or even 62, for that matter. Modern science will push life expectancy even further to 1995. The youngest among you may never die. Um, <laughs> it's possible. It is. I mean, I'm not joking. You go and read up the stuff and so on, you know. At worst comes to worst, you can always clone yourself. Um, and and very, very possible, many, many of you will live beyond 100, if not 150. And I was reading a biography of um, FDR, uh, Franklin Roosevelt, um, over the Christmas holidays. And I was, I mean, I knew that, but I was shocked to realize he died at the age of 63, right? And what did he die of? He died of high blood pressure. 
Um, and if he had been born 40 years later, in 1920 instead of 1980, there would have been all sorts of medication for blood pressure, and he would have lived far longer. If he had been born 80 years later, you know, he would have lived even longer. The third point I want to make is, without doubt, never before in history will people work so long. I think that is undoubted. For the opposite problem, that people not having employment beyond 60 or 62 is actually a worse problem. Um, in Singapore, as you know, I mean, let's be very specific about this. In Singapore, as you know, um, within a few years, our workforce, the Singapore workforce, will begin to decline. It won't will stop growing. More Singaporeans will leave the workforce than enter it. And the only way your workforce is going to grow by 0.5% or 0.25%, or actually even remain stable at zero, is by bringing in foreign workers. And it'll be worse if one, female participation in the workforce doesn't go up, and two, if um, more people who are above 65 work. And it isn't easy. I, I don't want to pretend it is easy. It is not a simple matter. It is certainly not a matter of MOM waving a magic wand and everybody will work longer. You take my generation, and again, they're very practical problems. You take my generation. I was born in 54, as I said. My cohort, less than half of us went beyond primary six. Less than half of us. My cohort, only 3% went to university. So if you're going to remain in the workforce, my cohort will have to be trained. And there's one reason why we spend so much money on lifelong learning. I mean, this building, um, DNI, was, was, was set up for that purpose. Um, and it costs a lot of money. Um, I understand Christopher spoke, uh, Chris, my colleague Christopher spoke of the three stages of life, study, work, uh, retire. You will probably, the younger people will probably study, and even the older people actually study, work study, um, and then possibly work, and then study again, and uh, go on sabbatical, come back to work, um, do part-time consultation, and postpone as long as possible death. My model in uh, my you know, senior years is my mentor and IPS special advisor, Tommy Koh. He's pushing 81. He remains an active diplomat. He remains an active academic in the law faculty and full-time gadfly. So, you know, once in a while, he <laughs> irritates people by talking about 377A or social policy. And so, but I think it's great, you know? He's raging against the dying of the light, you know? So, and that, I think, will increasingly be the pattern. Of course, there are all sorts of trade-offs. I don't want to minimize the problems. As you heard, the trade unions have a different view from the employer. And in between, you know, Yenling holding the two sides uh, together. Um, and, uh, but this is, this is how it is, and it will take a while to solve these problems. But I, I share Kani Soin's um, optimism um, for two reasons. Number one, we have to solve these problems, not least because the elderly, as I reminded you, constitute a large portion of the electorate. When you're 30, 40 percent, and if you don't solve these problems, the consequence, as 
two members of the panel know, is you lose elections. So it's, it's as simple as that. Number two, I think it's good that to solve this problem. It's better for society um, if you have people who are 60 and above, 62, 65, even 70, Tommy is 80, uh, who lead fulfilling, active lives. Um, the alternative uh, army of angry uncles and aunties does not bear thinking. Uh, <laughs> if you can you know, imagine your least favorite aunt and multiply that by one million, that will be how it is. <laughs> so uh, without further ado, um, you know, it has been a very long afternoon. Um, I would like to thank our partners, um, MOM, NTUC, and SNEF, um, tripartite partners, and we are very happy that we were associated with this. Um, um, working on the problems, or rather the, 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 the opportunities as well as the problems of um, aging is, is, is one of IPS uh, research interests. And as I said, it is not just an economic problem or a financial problem or a social problem. It is a cultural problem and it's also a political problem. So we're very happy to be a part of this. Thank you very much. Thank you, Director. We would like to thank everyone for attending the forum today. As mentioned, you can find all the information related to the issues discussed today on our website, and please feel free to share them with associates who are interested in these issues as well. Kindly remember to send us your feedback on the forum. Thank you, and have a good evening.